It's good to be back today uh, preaching in the house that God's called me to. And, uh, and I want to thank Bob Waters and, and Jeff Click for filling in for me while I was gone. In uh, two weeks, that's a long time. Because this one, I actually couldn't remember how to put my microphone on my head. I'm not joking. My son had to help me with it. I guess I really separate myself for a moment there. But today we're going to continue in our sermon series entitled Standing. And we're going to be talking today about mighty men of God. And, and ladies, this is Father's Day. Please don't check out saying this sermon ain't going to be for me. I promise you there will be stuff in here for you ladies. But guys, you better buckle up because I'm going to hit you hard today. I promise you that. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Today we're talking about mighty men of God, and and so what is a mighty man? The world will tell you someone who has power, someone who has money, somebody who is maybe good looking, whatever it might be. That's what the world will tell you a mighty man is. But I want to look at the way that God looks at a mighty man. A mighty man is strong. I'm not talking about they can bench press X amount of weights. No. I'm talking about a man who is strong, who can stand firm. A mighty man of God is courageous. Understanding that it takes courage to face the life that God has called us to. A a mighty man, as I'll explain this too a little bit later, is a lover of competition. To, To love good, healthy competition. A mighty man of God is a committed man, committed to a good cause. A mighty man of God is loyal. And a mighty man, more than anything, church, is dependent on their heavenly father. Knowing that everything that they have comes from him. So what does it look like to be a man of God? Today we're going to be studying in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And in 2 Samuel, uh, we're going to look at some mighty men here. But let me set up the story a little bit for you. See, David was in exile, and and he was driven into exile by Saul. And and so David, at this point, he was an outcast. I'm talking about he was hiding out. He was hunted like an animal. The man was living in caves, hiding out. But then what happened is, too, there were some other men who came along. See, they were also being oppressed by Saul. And so what would happen is they started being oppressed, so they would flee to David. Others also came to him, guys who were riddled with debt that they could not pay. They, they escaped and came to David. I'm talking about people who had nobody. They were disconnected. They had nobody in their life. They were coming to David. And so you put all these men together. And if you look at today's society, they would see all these men put together and say, man, those are a bunch of bust outs, man. What are those guys all hanging out together? But see, listen, these guys did some amazing things. Turn with me, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 17. Now, there's some tough words in there. I'm not talking about cat and dog. I'm talking about some big words in there, and I've been practicing. I really have. So we're going to bust this out. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8 says this. These are the names of David's mighty men, Joseph Bathsebus. See, I told you, I didn't practice hard enough. Atacomite was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Aphite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pazdamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. 
The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Herorite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where the field was full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. And during the harvest time, three of the 30 chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Repham. And at that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through, carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Church, I want to break this down for you this morning. I want to talk about some of these mighty men that's talked about here in 2 Samuel. Now, I, I, I want to look at the guy, Shema, who, who stood in the middle of a field. The Bible says that he was defending a patch of lentils. Now, that might not seem very important to you. I personally would never defend a patch of lentils. I think they're gross. Patch of Oreos, you better believe. I'd fight tooth and nail for those things. But listen, it was the custom of the Philistines. Here's what would happen. The Philistines, what they would do is they would wait until the Israelites' crops were ready to be harvested. Then they would come in, they would ravage, pillage, burn, rob them of everything so that they would starve. So this year, as usual, the Philistines came in to ravage the crops. And the Bible says all the men ran. They would not stand their ground except for one. This guy, he drew his sword and he defended it. He defended that field, one man against a whole troop of Philistines. And so what I want you to look at today, the first point is this, mighty men, they will stand their ground. A mighty man will stand their ground. Church, we live in a world today where so many men run. I mean, they run from everything. They don't stand up for what they believe in. They run from responsibilities. They will not defend their families. They don't even stand up for their God. It's the world we live in. We live in a world where men, they will not take ownership of what God has called them to. We live in a world where people no longer put God first. Church, the Bible makes it very clear. God should be first and foremost. Men, listen to me this morning. God should be first in your life. It's God first, not sports first, not work first, not leisure, not the, the enjoyments of things that you like to do. No, it is God first. See, I had a guy when Mary and I first decided to get married, he, he came up to me and says, hey boy, you know what you're doing? Let me give you some advice, guys. All you guys that's been around for a little while, don't you dare ever go to a young man that's 23 years old, just got engaged, and ask him, do you know what you're doing? I remember he said that to me. I'm thinking, well, I thought I did, but now if you're asking me, I can't give you the answer, so I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just sitting like, man, that girl's hot. I want to marry her. I'm in love with her, and that's what I want to do, but now you're telling me I need to know more than that? Scared me to death. So this guy, he said that to me, 
And then he said to me, not only do you need to know what you're doing, and this is what rocked my world, church. Listen to me this morning. Guys, listen to me. He said this. He said, God is going to hold you accountable on how you lead your family. That scared me to death. 23 years old. I didn't know nothing. Not only was I gaining a wife, I, I, I was gaining a son too. And I'm thinking like, I'm a kid myself, right? Me and my oldest boy, we grew up together for real. We did. And he's telling me that God is going to hold me accountable for the way that I lead my family. Church, get this this morning. We are called to fight the fight. Men, listen to me. You are called to fight the fight. I'm thinking you are called to teach your kids properly. You're called to teach your kids about God. Not this thing, I'll supplement it. I'll send them to youth group. I'll send them to church. You know what? I'll just supplement it. I'll mention to them every once in a while. No, you are called men to teach your children about God. You are called to lead your families. And you know what this world's done? We've given that responsibility to everybody else. Hear me out this morning. We live in a world today where a lot of people don't want to take responsibility. They're always thinking someone else will do it. Well, the government will teach my kid. The schools will teach my kid. Well, look what that's getting us right now, right, church? It's your responsibility, men. You are called to lead your families. That's your job. And as scary as it is, we're called to lead our families. We're called to fight the fight. We're called to ensure that our kids know God. And here's the wild part. You're called to set the example, right? You're called to set that example and to lead our families. Not just show up every once in a while. Not to give a little bit of wisdom along the way once in a blue moon. No, we are called to lead our families. Church, you look at the world today and it's, it's a mess, isn't it? I mean, it's brutally a mess. I hear people all the time, man, this country's in bad shape. This world's terrible. It, where's it going to go from here? You know what? If you honestly, if you honestly just take all the nastiness of this world and you boil it all down, and if we can pin it on one thing, it isn't the president. It isn't the government. It's not the schools. Here's where the rubber hits the road, church. The reason society is in the shape that it is in, it's the men's fault. Ladies, don't you get big-headed on me here, okay? It really is. The men have stopped leading their families. They've abandoned their post. They've not taken their position seriously. We're called to fight the battle. The point I want to make to you today is this one. Another point is mighty men stand their ground. Mighty men stand their ground all through God's word. There's examples of mighty men standing their ground. I just told you in verse 8 about the guy who, who stood there and raised his spear. He fought 800 men. He stood his ground, right? Then, then there's Eliezer, right? He, he did battle. He was so tired, the Bible says, that his hand was stuck to that sword. Then there's the guy who stood in the middle of the field and said, yeah, you ain't taking my lentils. And he fought. But see, here's the key, church. The key is the phrase. The key phrase through all those things, all those examples I gave you, is these guys stood their ground regardless of the opposition. They stood their ground. 
You know, what is our gut reaction when the battle looks unwinnable? What's your gut reaction? Like, well, I ain't doing it, right? You know, something that you're not going to be good at. You're like, Psh, I ain't going to do that then. I just don't want to do it because I don't look good at it. I had someone tell me not too long ago, they said, I'm not going to try that because I, I know I can't win at it. And I started in my speech, you know, grabbed my soapbox out, started preaching about it. But then I realized how many things in my life will I not do because I don't think I can win? How many things in my life will I not do because I'm afraid of failing at it? That's our gut reaction. We run from the things that we're afraid of. So do we stand our ground or do we run this morning? Church, listen, God is looking for some men. Ladies too, this is for you. To stand up and to stand their ground regardless of the opposition. To stand your ground regardless of that opposition. Do you realize all of us as believers in Jesus Christ that God has given you ground to stand on? He's given you ground to stand on. When the Israelites were getting ready to go into the promised land, what did God tell them? He said, everywhere you step will be yours. Man, I would have been dancing all over that. Oh, yeah, that's mine. That's mine, right? I would have been jumping all over that land. It's mine. If I step on it, it means it's mine. That's what God said. He said, everywhere you step, you will own it. It is yours. So God is believers in Jesus Christ. He's given you ground. He's given you ground, and he wants you to stand on it. He doesn't want you to lie down on it. He wants you to stand on it. He doesn't want you to run from it. He wants you to stand on it. And he's given you everything that you need to do that. See, in Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll look at this with me, Ephesians chapter 6, in verse uh, 13 and 14, it says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. It doesn't say put on a piece of it. It says you put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if it comes, church. It says when the day. He's telling you it's coming. So you put on the full armor of God. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, he said, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So right there, listen, he wanted you to get it so much, he told you three times. Right? When you're trying to get a point across your kids, how many times you got to tell them? <laughs> right? He wanted you to understand you were called to stand. Church, I hope as a believer in Jesus Christ that you've already identified who the enemy is in your life. The enemy, right? Paul tells us when it comes to doing battle with the enemy, he tells us what we need to do. He says, you suit up and you stand, is what he says. He says, you stand your ground. See, nowhere in this verse, nowhere in this section I just read to you that are we called to attack. Nowhere in this section are you called to advance. See, some of us, we get a little big for our britches, don't we? All right, Mr. Big Pants, it doesn't tell you to go attack. It tells you to stand, to stand your ground. See, the key phrase in this entire section is to stand. The Bible tells us, right, when it calls us to be a witness, the Bible has called all of us to be witnesses. And what it does, it says you be witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? You're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And as athletes, the Bible describes to us as athletes that we run, that we run the race that's been laid before us. You run with your eyes fixed on Christ. But when the Bible speaks to us about fighting, 
What does it tell us to do? It tells you to stand. You stand. You realize the enemy is working. I'm serious. The enemy is working, and he's working over time. The enemy is fighting, right? But here's the thing. We, we confuse this a little bit. See, the enemy is not working overtime in the places that we hear about on Saturday night where you shouldn't be and neither should your kids. That's not where the enemy's working overtime. Why would he have to work overtime? He already got those people. You know where he's working overtime? In the hearts and the homes of believers of Jesus Christ. You want to see him really work overtime Sunday morning, right? How about it? You got a big family trying to get ready, everybody ready for church? Yeah, you're all yelling, screaming, spitting at each other. You're fighting in the car all the way down, right? And then you come in church. Oh, God bless you, brother. How you doing, right? You get all churchy as soon as you walk through the doors. But see, the, the enemy is working overtime. He's working overtime in the families of Christians, See, he's tempting men. He's tempting men like you wouldn't believe to be lax in their duties. He's tempting men to, to kind of sit back and not raise Christian young men and Christian young women. He's tempting men to not teach their kids the importance of following God. He's tempting men not to teach the kids to know who God really is. Not just to know who his, his name, but to know who he is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, I want, I want you to hear it again. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, the belt of truth. Do you realize the truth is what holds everything together? The truth holds it all together. What is truth? The word of God is truth, church. The word of God is truth. Truth is always able to stand when my kids were growing up and, you know, the, you get the phone call from the principal or, or a teacher at school, I told them every single time, I said, I will always believe the teachers first. And if you're going to tell me that they're wrong, we'll go in and sort it out, the three of us together. It didn't happen at the Blakely household where my kid came home and said, you know what my teacher did to me? I said, let's go talk to him. I looked at him and said, yeah, you probably did. You probably did that. But we live in a society today where our kids do something wrong at school and, you know, Billy or Susie, they get reprimanded for it. And then the parents want to go in, man, you talk to anybody who works in the school districts, works in administration, works in the classrooms, they are constantly bombarded with it. What do you mean? You're going you're gonna to punish my kid? You ain't doing that. We're not teaching our children to stand on the truth. We're teaching them that, that, you know what, you can go do whatever it is you want to do. See, church, you can stand when you have the truth. You can stand when you have the truth. You can hold your ground when you have the truth. And here's the sad fact, church. We've got to stop losing ground. Seriously, we've got to stop losing ground. And God is looking for some men and some women to stand up, to step up. And to stand their ground regardless of the opposition. Regardless of what's coming down that path. And I'm asking you, will you be that person? Next point I want you to get today is this. Mighty men stand their ground regardless of allies. Right? Regardless of the allies. Second Timothy chapter 4, if you'll look at this with me. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 18, it says this. It says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. So Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, and he's writing it from prison. He's kind of feeling bad, right? He's saying, everyone deserted me. Nobody came to my support, church. How many times have you ever felt like that in life? Felt alone? Felt like nobody supported you, that everyone's turned their back on you? And that's what Paul is feeling, and he says this. May it not be held against them. So he had a weak moment saying, yeah, they all left me here to rot. But you know what? I won't hold that against you. He had a clear moment, right? And it goes on to say this, but the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever Amen. See, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's telling him, you stand your ground. Even when you feel alone, you stand your ground. No matter who is with you, you stand your ground. Because he's telling him, he says, guess what? God's with you. You might not need anyone else. You might not have anybody else, but God is with you, so you stand your ground. Man, it's so easy to fight when you got the majority, isn't it? Man, I remember in, in elementary school, picking up the kickball teams, you got a good solid team, like, Psh, whatever, I'll take you all on, right? It's easy when you have the majority, but what happens when you're the minority? The Bible tells us, church, to stand our ground regardless, regardless who's with you. You stand your ground regardless of what friends think. You stand your ground regardless of what family thinks, and God will stand there with you. He'll stand there with you. And see, when it comes to what God wants, church, we stand up for it. It stinks to stand alone, doesn't it? Man, loneliness is an awful feeling, especially when your, your convictions are overtaking you. Like, I know this is what I got to do. And when you're all alone, it's difficult to do it. But regardless of the company, Regardless of the people who will stand there with you or will not stand with you, we are called to stand because God is with us when we're standing for him. Another point I want you to get this morning is this. Mighty men teach their children to stand their ground. Listen to me, church. I'm not talking about you go fighting every time someone disagrees with you. Listen to what I'm telling you. See, the battle plan has three parts. The battle plan that Paul gives has three parts. First, you put on the full armor of God, not just a piece of it. You put on that full armor of God, and then you stand your ground. The Bible said three times, you stand. But then you have to watch out for the traps that the enemy lays for you. I'm talking about the traps that the enemy is laying out there for you. When I was a kid, me and my, my brothers and, and a couple of friends in the neighborhood, we loved building cabins. My dad would bring home some scrap wood. We'd build these cabins. And I remember we had this one cabin, and we fortified it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about we had it going on for real. And we dug these big holes on the paths to get there. We cover it with that little bamboo kind of stuff, throw some leaves on it. And I remember we'd take my cousin up there, and I would tell her, hey, you step everywhere I step. And I'd get up to that hole, I'd act like I was stepping on the hole, kind of hop over it, she'd go right down in there. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, okay? She forgave me like last week, I think it was. But you know what? She didn't recognize the trap. 
And a lot of us, even as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't always recognize the traps because we're not paying attention. See, see, are we pointing out to our children where the enemy's working? Are we pointing out the things that the enemy's doing? Too many times the parents, we're not diligent in showing our kids how the enemy works. And our kids are getting sucked into it. They're getting hurt. See, we are are too tied up trying to make sure that they have experiences of life. I had a guy tell me one day, he said, you know what, I feel terrible. My, my, my kid, he can't come to youth group and, and he, he can't be at a church most of the time because he's involved in this sport. And, and he said, I feel bad about it, but I want him to have experience in life. Do you realize that you are robbing your child of the most important experience that your child could ever possibly have? And that's exposure to God's word in how to live your life. And we are wondering why things are the way that they are. Man, I had the pleasure of teaching with Lindsay Makel Junior High Youth Group this year. And on Easter time, we really do a, a come to Jesus event, we'll call it. If you've ever been to our Monday Thursday service, it's kind of like that. And man, it blew my mind how many kids knew nothing about Jesus Christ being crucified and they knew nothing about what it meant, why he was. Because see, I'm cradle Christian. I grew up in the church. I I was born in the church, so I, I understood it. But man, people are not teaching their kids because you know what, they're so worried about them having experiences of life and a lot of time the experiences of life are taking them down a horrible road. And here's the sad part, sometimes we're leading them. Remember what I told you, God's gonna hold you accountable, men, for the way that you lead your family. I can't imagine standing before God and saying, I did that. Yeah, I exposed my kid to that. Yeah, I made that decision for my kid. He's going to hold us accountable for that. So we must show our kids, we must show our children where the enemy attacks and also in our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. You know, the enemy comes to you and he attacks you where you're the most weak, church. All of us, every single one of us. You know where he attacks you? In the lust of the flesh. Now, it's not just sexual. It can be. But he will attack you in the lust of the flesh. It's the desires that we have for the things of the world. See, Jesus, he was tempted. The Bible tells us he he went to the wilderness to be tempted. He went to be tempted, the Bible says. And man, that guy didn't eat for 40 days, church. So the enemy comes to him in his weakness. He said, huh, you're the son of God. You're starving right now. See them stones? Why don't you turn them into bread and eat? Why are you suffering, Right? And then he also attacks in the lust of the eyes. You remember, he took Jesus up on top of the mountain. He said, you know what? See all those kingdoms everywhere you can see. If you will bow down to me, you can have it all. We're tempted by the lust of the eyes. And then he also was tempted by the pride of life. The enemy took him up to the very pinnacle of the temple. And he said, you know what? If you are who you say you are, you throw yourself off the top of this thing. You have the angels sweep down, pick you up, and then you can declare yourself as the Messiah. Satan has methods, church, that he uses exactly like that on us. He does the same exact thing to us. So we must teach our kids to be overcomers 
of the temptations. Teach them, church. You show them why these things are wrong. Another point I want to make to you is this. Mighty men overcome the enemy. Man, I love this part right here. Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 12. Let me get it up here. I lost it already. There it is. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. It says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen, church, you are not fighting physical battles. You're not fighting these physical battles. We are fighting spiritual battles. The Bible says so. See, some of you guys, you're trying to fight these battles with your own strength. You're like, I'm a tough guy. I can do it. I'm a strong, independent woman. I can handle these things. You can't, church. The Bible says you must have on the full armor of God. I'm talking about the helmet of salvation. I'm talking about the breastplate of righteousness. I'm talking about the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and the gospel of peace. That's what you are called to equip yourself with. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says this to us. It says, be self-controlled and alert. And there's something a lot of us are not. We're not self-controlled and we ain't paying attention to nothing going on around us. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Church, how often are we resisting the enemy? Do you understand that Satan has one goal for you? It's to destroy your eternal salvation. The Bible says you resist him standing firm in the faith. I want you to get a picture here or an image of this, right? You know, I want you to think about this. The picture here in this chapter is about an army, right? An army standing against the enemy. And we should stand together as believers. That's what we're called to do. You stand together as believers. We cannot resist the devil by ourselves. You get wore out really quick. See, not only do you need the armor of God, but you need believers to stand with you, church. Stand with you. Be self-controlled and alert. The enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting to devour someone. Have you ever watched those, those like National Geographic, you know, where the animals are getting slaughtered in the wild? Those kind of, you know, all you sickos that like to watch that, right? <clears throat> if you ever watch the ones about lions, Right? The lions, how do they attack? They go after the sick ones first. The lions go after the sick ones first. And then, if there's no sick ones, they go after the young ones. And if there's no young ones, they go after the stragglers, the ones who are not hanging with the herd, the ones who are falling behind. That's what the lion goes after. They choose the victims who are alone or not alert. And Peter is warning us right here to watch out to watch out when we are suffering, to watch out when we are struggling. See, when we are feeling alone, when we are feeling weak, when we are feeling helpless, that's when the enemy is going to come after you big time. And see, what we do is, a lot of times we start feeling alone, we start feeling weak, we start feeling helpless, and man, I can't tell you how many times I've had to call and check on people, and I'm like, man, you ain't been to church in a while, and they're like, yeah, I'm just struggling right now. And I tell them all the same thing. Why are you isolating yourself from other believers? 
Because when you isolate yourself, that is when the enemy will come and have a field day in your heart. He will have a field day in your mind. He will tell you you are worthless. He will tell you nobody cares. He will tell you that there is no hope. But man, when you are surrounded by a body of believers and we are praising God together and lifting each other up, do you understand the strength and the power that comes from that? You don't isolate yourself because that is when the enemy attacks like a lion, when you are sick, when you are young, when you are a straggler, when you are alone and not alert, he's going to come get you. So when we stay away from church, when we, we, we stay so focused on our troubles, you realize you're not watching for danger. You're not watching for danger. And this is when we are most vulnerable to Satan's attack. And so during times of suffering and struggle, church, you should be seeking out other Christians. You should come to church. You should surround yourself with believers. You keep your eyes on Christ and resist the devil. Do you understand what it says in the book of James? It says you keep your eyes on Christ and resist the devil. And you know what it says after that? It says he will flee from you. When you keep your eyes on Christ and you resist him, it says he's going to run away from you. He will flee from you. Remember, Satan has one goal. It's your eternal destruction. Does he not only want to destroy you, but he wants to destroy your family as well? When I took this job, I had a guy come, or a lady come up to me, and she says, you know what? You're taking this job. Do you understand what it entails? I'm like, yeah, I think so. There you go. Someone else tell me things. I don't know. And she said, you better be strong. You better be prayed up. You better be reading up. And she said, do you understand that the enemy is going to come after you big time because you're devoting your life to preaching the gospel? And then she said this. She said, you know where he's going to come first? He's going to come after your family. Think about it. What is the most precious thing to you? It's your family, right? We don't like to see our children struggle. We don't like to see our children hurt. And man, when that is happening, when the enemy is coming after them and causing them to struggle and to hurt, man, it kills you inside. If you're not a parent, you will understand someday what I'm talking about. I hate to see my children struggle. Man, my, my one son, he, he's smart. He's really a smart kid. He didn't know how to tie his shoes until he was like nine or 10. You know why? Because I didn't want to see him struggle to learn. I would say, oh, here, let me do it. Suddenly I realized this kid don't know how to tie his shoes. So I bought him Velcro. (laughs) True story. We got him up to speed. But seriously, church, he's going to come after your family. And the last point I want to make to you today, I want you to understand, church, where are you serving at? What's your focus Are you serving your families? Man, listen to me this morning. You are called to be leaders in your household. I'm talking about spiritual leaders, physical leaders. You should have a present there. Man, you you can be like, I'm I'm with my family. I stay with the mom and I go and work. Yeah, you do. You should. Thank you. But you need to be present. You need to be investing. I'm talking about the end of the day. You go sit in the room and talk to them. How was your day today? What do you got going on? Not just talking to them when you're yelling at them, but I'm talking about investing in them, church. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, as I ask the praise team to come up here this morning. 
I love this verse. See, in the book of Isaiah, this guy is struggling, and, and, and the more aware he becomes of his own powerlessness, he starts to recognize how mighty God is, and he says this in verse 8. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? See, Isaiah realized that he was powerless to do anything of lasting value without God. And when he came to that conclusion, he thought this, it is I, I will go. I will serve and I will lead. So this morning, I want you to get some men, ladies, you listen to this too, but men especially, mighty men, they lead their families. I'm talking about you're out front. You're saying, come on, we're going this way. That you are willing, church, to take the bullet for your family. And anyone, church, listen to me, anyone who is leading a family, you are the one who decides the pace. You are the one who decides which way we're going. You know, in the military, the pace is set by the generals, right? In corporations, the pace is set by the leaders. In the church, man, the pace is set by the leadership that God has appointed. And in a household, the pace is set by the Father. And you might say, well, there's no father present in my house. Then you follow the pace of your heavenly father Amen. and the example that he gives you. I want to share with you one last verse. It's hanging up in my house. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 says this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this morning... I want you guys to know it's time. It's time to lead. It's time for you to stand your ground. It's time for you to stand your ground in your homes. It's time for you men to stand your ground at your workplace. It's time for you men to stand your ground in the churches. And the Bible says you stand and you stand firm. But in order to stand our ground church, you got to be able to use the full armor of God because you can't do it by yourself. And in order to put on the full armor of God, you got to be cleansed. I'm talking about God does a work in you. That he has forgiven you. That you've confessed your sins to him. You're like, Lord, I give you full control of everything. Man, that's hard, isn't it? Cleansing is not fun. Purifying, man, that's brutal. It's painful. But God promises you this, that it'll be good when it's over. So this morning, there's somebody here. Man, listen to me. There's somebody here, you men who have not given your life to Jesus Christ. Not only are you robbing yourself, you're robbing your family. And for the rest of you guys, maybe you've never made a decision to follow him fully, to give full control of your life to him. Today can be the day. You want to honor your heavenly father, make him happy on Father's Day? Ha, you give your life to him. Nothing will please him more. 
So for the rest of you believers as well, maybe you're not leading. Maybe you're sleeping on the job. Maybe you're kicking back, saying somebody else will do it. Let today be the day that you come back to what it is that God has given you purpose for. And it's to lead by example. To live the life that God has called you to do. To stand the ground that he has given to you. So how about it, church? Maybe this morning you need to make a decision. I want to encourage you to come forward. Kim will be up here. The elders will be up here. They'll pray with you. But you got to make a commitment. Let's stand together and let's sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.